Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark, who have been giving straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. I'm Dominic Frisby and alongside me today is Andrew Ori, one of the partners at Ori Clark, who is on a mission to bring the fascinating business stories of Ori Clark's clients to a wider audience with this podcast. A quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple. Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at BIZ without BS, at Biz without BS. With that being said, Andy, hello, how are you doing? Who's our guest today? And what are we going to be talking about? Thank you, Dom. I am on top form. Uh, today's guest is the lovely Desiree Whitaker, CEO and Managing Director of the Cardrona Distillery. Originally started in New Zealand, the family business now ships its exquisite range of handcrafted whiskies, now we're talking spirits and liquors across Australia and the UK, stocking places like Harrods, the East London Liquor Company, and Waitrose, to name a few. Desiree's fascinating journey to starting the business spans over years of research, planning and traveling globally to learn from the world's craft masters, a story we look forward to hearing more about today. Desiree, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to be here. For some reason, even though there was obviously Scottish and Irish uh, emigrants in in Australia, for some reason, New Zealand in my head is more Scottish and Irish than Australia is. Is that right? Or There's a heavy contingent of Scots down south where I'm from. And so both my parents' families were five or six generations ago from Scotland. And they brought their whiskey with them. All their whiskey skills? or Well, actually, it's quite an interesting home? story. Uh, my parents have invested into the distillery and they say that it must be the sign of unconditional love when your teetotal parents will invest in a whiskey distillery. Yeah. I'll say. Actually, those are sensible people to invest in a whiskey distillery. At least you know their judgment hasn't been... Uh, or that they won't drink the yeah, profits. They won't, they won't ruin it all, basically. <laughs> so, what was your first ever job? Uh, I worked for my parents milking cows. And so, on the uh, farm, yeah, on the farm. So, from quite young, and presumably, you were milking them unpaid before they started paying you to do it. (laughs) No, when I started milking, I got paid, and previous to that, I was uh, doing other things but not being paid. And what was your first sort of job working for somebody else? And then at high school, I worked at McDonald's, and so I was, um, yeah, at 16, I got an after school job and weekend job. Nothing wrong with that. Burger King turned me down, though. (laughs) What was your worst job? I haven't had a worse job. I, uh, I've taken from, I think, hardship teaches you a lot and, and you wouldn't be away without those lessons. Yeah, I think that's fair. And well done, McDonald's there. You've missed the bullet. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, it's, it is a good place to work, actually, I hear. So how did you find the transition from, from working for someone to people working for you? Well, uh, so right from that early stage at McDonald's, I was promoted even though I was part-time to being a crew trainer after six months. And so right from that early age, I've had roles where I am guiding and, and leading people. Yeah, you, you have um, it's a very calm manner, but a certain sense of gravitas, which is, you know, maybe maybe what people picked up on an early stage. Um, but you're, the, the point you made, which I, I, it was a point made by our previous podcast guests, is that Leadership isn't about status symbols and throwing your weight around in a meeting and, and you know, showing this sort of 
you know, um, making everyone clear who's in charge. It's 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 the other thing. It's sort of being uh, his example is you know being incredibly you know calm. You know, you can have a powerful river that's very calm and stuff. You know, that's something you obviously identify with. My job is to pick really great people and then let them go on and and do their do their thing. So we're absolutely blessed in Cardona with the people that we have in our team. We have a small team sighted here in the UK and our marketing manager is sighted here, incredible woman, a master's in marketing, a degree in international business. And if I tried to, to tell her what to do, well, I, I don't have the knowledge she has. Yeah. How many people do you have working for you? Altogether about 40, seven here in the UK. So how did you find the transition from startup to employer? I've been lucky in that I was given a very good example right from early days in my parents. And so I haven't really had that transition. It's always been part of me. In a way, I don't want to say, but running a distillery, having I've been to quite a few winemakers and I'd act for a few in New Zealand and you know, honey makers and people here. It's it's not dissimilar than a farm, actually, in a way. It's very outdoorsy in a way. It's, you know, there's a lot of sort of physical physical nature to it um if you probably do you have to get up early to make whiskey no you can get up at lunchtime uh, we're a master distiller a lady she's a, a young woman uh well she's mid early to mid 30s Very and young. so she's she runs the distillery she does an absolutely cracking job so she trained as a winemaker did several vintages in wine and then so she's she started with us right at the beginning and and backed herself. She came on as a distillery hand and because she manages as well. Because sometimes the because it's going to sound ridiculous. She's the lady with the nose. I mean, so or you know, someone's got yeah. to develop that thing where the, you can put it at the back of your throat and there's some thing yeah, that you can. It incredible. takes years to do to to develop yeah. that skill. And also, I'm sure you know this. Women have a better sense of smell than men, which is a, is another lesser known yeah. fact. Although you may have noticed that that your wife picks up stuff that you don't. But I mean, um, <laughs> and now I'm divorced. Yeah, <laughs> it is a bit like that. What is most misunderstood about being an employer? That. Income minus wages doesn't equal profit is, yes. I think, the, Hallelujah. the, yes. the biggest, the biggest <laughs> one. Translate that into footballing terms. <laughs> <laughs> In, well, I mean, the income minus wages does not equal profit. There's a whole lot more that goes in there. And, that, and, and I'm not sure that that will ever be completely understood. There's an enormous amount that goes into making a successful business and profit is one of those. It's not the driving force, but it certainly is what pays, pays the is wages. Is that the curse of the Excel spreadsheet age that and 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 management, what are those MAs? Is it um, the curse uh, of uh, MAs? Management and, consultants or management accounts. Yeah, and, yeah. and so that everything becomes about the Excel spreadsheet and the numbers on the spreadsheet. The profit is important because that's the lifeblood of business. That's what allows it to continue but it's important that you don't allow the Excel spreadsheet to take over. It's about making something great. And for Cadrona, that's making great spirits. You're recognising brand value, I guess. Yeah, I always sort of get cross when people have got this idea that business owners are these sort of fat people sitting in armchairs, smoking cigars, exploiting work, drinking whiskey, (laughs) and uh, generally exploiting people and they don't realize that the reality of being an entrepreneur is years of unpaid work, love, risk taking, worry and you worry, know, investment. stress, sleepless nights. 
we um in coming through this the crisis that the whole world is is emerging touchwood from one of the things we're proudest of is that we've retained our entire team. We brought the whole team through, um, so no redundancies, which it was extremely scary. You're talking about the COVID crisis. Yes, the yeah. COVID crisis. And so we that was a single goal. Yeah, you can't produce whiskey from home. From well, we, home we even stopped. Our, we were allowed to continue producing our whiskey. We stopped so we could preserve cash to pay those wages. Um, wow. Because was we, there a furlough scheme in New Zealand? Um, it's different and it wasn't as much as what it is here. There was a subsidy and and people could work through that. We didn't know what the world was going to look like on the other side and we didn't know how long it was going to last. Our Excel spreadsheets, we, we did down to 20% of our, of our income, of what our regular income had been. It actually dropped to less than 5%. It was difficult, yeah. It was so a really people difficult people stopped buying time. whiskey? Well, our internet sales remained and grew, but the... All of our other channels stopped. So in New Zealand, you can't buy, you can't sell spirits in supermarkets, for example. So oh my god, I've forgotten about. And these the re- bottle stores oh closed. God. You know, there's a really, I'll probably, you know, get in trouble for saying, but there's a there's a really complicated thing that's happened here too because of furlough and stuff. Is that because there hasn't been any any unemployment, and then meanwhile you've got things like you know trouble with the people of movement and everything. Is that a bit of unemployment probably would have been quite helpful to society because although it's horrible and we want everyone to have a job, the attitude is becoming so sort of like, you know, no one's willing to lower any of their expectations or standards. You know, you've got problems with Brexit getting cleaners and stuff and there's just this sort of nothing changed forever. Everything's okay. Do you know what I mean? And it's a, it's something you're not allowed to say because yeah. it's like... A bit of Schumpterian creative destruction is, is helpful very, very to purge healthy the system. For society. Yeah. It's, people become very grateful for their job. So that, you know, you get the, you know, the common thing now you get with a, an employee is they think because of startups, I should have a piece of the business, I should have a salary, I should have no risk, and I should do what the hell I want and stuff. And it's like that formula, you know, it makes a bit more sense in a startup when your salary's in doubt and things like that. You know, fundamentally, people should be happy to have a good job at a stable, happy place, you know. And, and a little bit of it happened here and then it disappeared again. Now the job market here is like really tough, like tougher than ever in terms of finding talent or people's expectations with what comes with that. I don't know. It's a very controversial topic. Well, this leads us nicely into our next question, which is what is the hardest thing you do in your job and how do you deal with it? Um, so my job is to employ great people. And so there are some incredible people out there and choosing one and then letting others who are equally as great, maybe, you know, we've, you have to you have to make a, make a choice and letting those others down. That's, the, that's actually the hardest part because the interviewing and employment process, you get to know people very well, particularly for the types of roles that I'm hiring into. Um, they're important. So. so interviewing somebody, liking them, and then telling and them liking you, and then saying, sorry, mate. Had to choose someone Do else. Do you find the decision hard? I who who is the best? No, I don't find the decision hard, but I do find the letting the others down, no. Who out there in the cutthroat world of business can we look to for inspiration? Who can we learn from? Well, there's a there's a writer who I love, um, and his name is Jim Collins, and he's written several books, but Good to Great and Built to Last. And so he's got lessons in each of them, and one of the lessons in Good to Great is about level five leadership. And what he's wanting to get across is that we we often celebrate the charismatic and bold, loud 
type of leader. And there's actually a a really powerful type of leadership, which is which is quiet and allows their people to shine. And so I really, I, I think that that's a great lesson in business, that you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be um, charismatic. That's why I've never succeeded in running a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a, a what, a what, because you can't, be, you can't be too quiet. It's the sort of, how do you, it, what then the trick is let's, setting up the goal very clearly, is it? I know somebody who worked with Phil Knight from Nike and he, was, he, he knew him quite well and he said that Phil barely ever said a word in a meeting. Let's his people speak, meaning that you don't have to have the spotlight on you. It means that you find if you draw really deeply from the the pool of experience you have around the table. They say the biggest problem in the UK is collective decision making. We have um, a culture that we like, you know, the CEO makes the marketing decision, the marketing man makes the CEO decision. So I think within that being quiet, but roles are probably important. Yes, absolutely. And ultimately making a decision at the end of the day, but drawing deeply from the wisdom you have around the table rather than assuming that you have it at the beginning of the conversation. And now a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts? What is protecting a founder's interest? Well, when a company decides it needs money and wants to raise that money, it will go out and it will find investors who want to put money into the business. And that's what most founders are looking for, and they're desperate for money, and they like it. But they really need to be protected themselves in terms of their ownership of shares in the company, their control of the business and running it, and how their relationship works with that investor coming in. And, I mean, it's important to the success of the company that the founder is properly rewarded. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you get to a point, and some people do, and it's quite disappointing when they do. If you get to a point where a founder has so small a shareholding that they're not really incentivized anymore to grow the business, then the business will do badly. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now, back to the chat. So um, on that note, what's the best piece of advice you were ever given? It was from my mum, which was if you get offered an opportunity and one that really, really excites you, then grab it with two hands and run with it, even if you don't know how to do it. Just work really hard to make it happen because opportunities don't present themselves every day and it is unlikely they'll ever present themselves again. So if it's something that makes the hairs stand up on the back of your arms, it's time to grab it and run as hard as you can with it. I feel your advice there is it's got to be the same in business. It's It's got to be, look, if I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, I don't really want to change country and whatever. But if I'm not, then I have to somehow be really open-minded to the, to because initially the opportunity might just be a sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think there's an opportunity everywhere but we don't always notice. Yeah. You just don't know. Often you don't notice. They're like the bloke you walked past in the sweet shop yesterday might be the perfect person to realise all your 
ambitions. Sweet shop dreams. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. No, no, I'm just like, he was buying a newspaper and you were buying chewing gum or whatever it is. And you walk past each other in the street and you never speak. But that might be the perfect guy for you to meet in order to realize what you need to realize. You know, you, yeah, you, you yeah. know, every time you pass somebody, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. You don't, you, you don't know, you don't know what it is. I remember that when I bought my farm, I was on something called the Fonterra Shearholders Council. So Fonterra is New Zealand's largest company, and I was on the, in the governance structure for that. And I had to get these photos taken for for publicity purposes. And I was driving with this farmer down the road, and he said, "Oh, you and Paul are doing well. We're we're, we're considering selling our farm. We'd love for you to buy it." And I knew where we were and. At that point, in, in, in terms of our financial position, we couldn't afford to buy it. But I knew we were, where we would be in a year's time. And I backed myself that I thought we would be able to find a, a partner to be able to bridge any gap. And so I negotiated with him and purchased the farm. And and within that 12 months, it was just before the, so also luck, um, just before the enormous rise up of commodities in uh Beginning of 08, yeah. 07, 08. And so, so we'd signed up the farm and were able to buy that farm by ourselves in a very short run to a, quite a large business by New Zealand standards. And uh, so that's an example. And if our plan had been for it to be stable, and we knew because we were very good farmers, we knew that we would be able to find partners to join us in that journey and we had several lining up. Don't be afraid. Uh, have a have a plan. Absolutely, have a plan. But it would have been a very easy to go to be very scared. I find it interesting. You said you're impatient because you strike me as an incredibly patient person. You research and things. Why do you describe yourself as impatient? I just like to get it done, <laughs> to get things done. And so I guess that's an example of impatience. I I didn't want to wait the standard twenty years to be able to buy your own farm, and I wanted to buy it myself. I didn't want to be given it. Are you? Amb- I would say maybe you're ambitious. Oh yeah, we're you're patient. I would say maybe, but you know, ambitious to to get somewhere. You know, because I wouldn't have researched this. You know, I I would have been like, right, I'm going to do it, and I would have just thrown myself in and use trial and error. That's my entire approach to you know problems in that sense. But it was so methodical, you know, and that and that and respectful, I guess, to the industry and building up those relationships. So I was blessed by the industry blessed by the people who came along. Over the course of that conversation, I've just had a wonderful idea and I'm going to talk to you after the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are your top three reads? Well, the first one would be Built to Last, which is again by Jim oh, Collins yeah. and, and Jerry Porras. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point. Yeah, great and, book. Are you the, a maven? I'm none of those three. Okay. None of the, I'm a generalist. Are you a maven? I don't know. I was given that book years ago by like my, my godmother or something. I still haven't read it. I'm a terrible reader. I need yeah, the audio no, but book. I tell you what, you could probably, because the idea of how things go viral has been examined and re-examined so many times since in blogs and the rest of it, you could probably just read the Wikipedia entry on that book. <laughs> 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 Tipping point is how an idea goes viral. And at some stage for an idea or a business product or whatever, it needs a maven, what he calls a maven. And a maven would be, so let's say you know me, I know you a bit, Andrew, and Desiree knows you a bit, Andrew. But prior to this podcast, Desiree and I had never met before. But if you then said to us, Andrew, Desiree, meet Dominic, Dominic, meet Desiree, you two should go and start a 
whiskey voiceover business together. Um, <laughs> because of our mutual trust and liking of you, our relationship can start off very quickly without us having to build trust or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're a Maven's effectively an introducer. Yeah, and for yeah. anything to go viral, you need introducers. Right. And, and they're, the, they're the points. I suppose in social media, you'd call them influencers. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think um, uh, empresario is kind of another word then for a Maven. I'm not sure an influencer would count because I think influencers are... Anyway, but yeah, I well, see Well, no, your point. because the influencer, let's it's say it's a Twitter such a thing. Bollocks, the interval, really. interval retweets, whatever you put on Twitter, introduces it to all his followers. They all trust what yeah, you've written yeah, on okay. Twitter because Just the influencer spread the idea. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yes, uh, uh, the right answer, the tipping point, yes, one of the top <laughs> three points. 12 points there, 12 <laughs> early marks. Uh, disappointed that one of my books isn't on your top three reads, but anyway, uh, I'm sure when we interview you this time next year, you will have revised. 100% uh, do, um, yeah. uh, Steve Knight, Shoe Dog is your third yeah, one. Yeah, it's fantastic. It? Not the first time it's been mentioned on this podcast. What's it the story of? Well, it's the story of Nike um, and how Nike was was founded and it's um, those early years of hard graft and right through and the trials and tribulations and no cash because the faster you grow, the more cash you need, which yeah. is not well known. It really resonated with me. What are you most excited about for the future of your business? We're at the exciting part of, of this is our first real foray into the world outside New Zealand and so seeing seeing my team's work um, become known that's that's what's really exciting bringing that the, they're an extraordinary team and they make an ex, an extraordinary spirit and um, having that tasted and realized in the world that's nice yeah they've got a lot of spirit in them and um if you if you the largest if you car drone of the valley there might be lots of other distilleries that grow over time is that is that and that oh, would be good would it? that would be fantastic yeah. it's um you know, to have a community, and there are other there are other distilleries that you know, we're tiny, and then everybody else is is tiny as well. Um, and there are some really wonderful, wonderful um, distilleries Piss popping ups. up. <laughs> so I shouldn't say. Um, if there was one thing in the world you would change over the next five years, what would that be? If I had a magic wand, uh, yeah, if you want, yeah. I'd remove prejudice of any kind, whether that be racial prejudice, sexual prejudice, religious, binary, gender prejudice. In order to achieve that, I mean, I, I've read an interesting it's thing about why one. humans are like that. We're very, we're, in monkeys are the same. We're unbelievably good at looking after people and trusting people in our own tribe. And we're unbelievably good at mistrusting all the others. They, that famous lady who went in the gorillas, that was the whole, like, they then carried on watching the family and one of the males broke off and started a new group and then started murdering them all. And, you know, so, so within your pack, you'll do anything for each other. So to remove, I mean, to me, that's the key to prejudice is to feel like we're one pack, to feel mm. like one one race. So it's not impossible. I don't know how what the, I don't know how we get there, but I do know that we, we need to have tolerance of each other and our differences because that's where our power will come from is tolerance of each other and our differences. Here, yeah, here. Yeah. Should we be tolerant of intolerance? <laughs> <laughs> right. We're on to the fun bit, I think. Uh, well done. You've, you've made your way through the difficult questions. Now the really difficult questions. Uh, this brings us to what our producer, D deems the main event. <laughs> the business versus bullshit quickfire round. D, cue the music. 
So this is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do, Desiree, is tell us whether you think it's business or bullshit. Are you ready? You just have to say one or other word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> one, diversity quotas. Bullshit. Why is a diversity quota bullshit? Because the, the, the best person for the job should be selected. Good answer. Bonus point. Two, stand-up meetings. And they've got the place you've got to say one or the other, don't you? Um, Go with it. Have you had a stand-up meeting before? Yeah, business, yeah. In defence of stand-up meetings, I went on this sort of, would have been about five years ago, on one of my self-improvement missions that <laughs> come around every few years before they die a death. But I was obsessed with the idea of walking. And, you know, um, Aristotle had his, what he called the peripatetic school, where he had all his lessons, he taught all his lessons walking. Um, and there's something to do with the automated function of walking. The part of the brain that deals with the automated function is the part of the brain that stifles creativity. So often when you're doing something automated, like walking or having a shower or cycling or something like that, that's often when you have your best ideas. And so... When you're a freelancer, right, people always want to meet you for a coffee. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to meet you for a coffee because it's going to take me an hour to get to you. Then I've got to meet you and sit there for a coffee. Then it's going to take me an hour to get home. That's a whole morning or a whole afternoon when I could have been earning money. I literally don't get any kind of income from a meeting. Freelancers hate meetings. People who work in regular employment love meetings. Yeah, because they, they, they get like out of their office. Off. Yeah. But freelancers hate them. So please don't. So I was like, from then on, I, met, I insisted on having all my meetings with anyone walking. And I go, right, I'll meet you at Broccoli Station and we'll walk to wherever. We'll walk to Greenwich or something and that'll take an hour to walk that. And it only lasts about six months, like all my self-improvement drives. But in that six months, I had loads of fantastic meetings. Yeah. So, yes, so stand-up meetings count as business. Right, three, slogans in the workplace. Yeah, business. It's obviously got some slogans. What does your slogan say? One that's been given to us is every touch counts. And so every touch that you have with our spirits, with our products, with a customer, that counts. It really matters. Yeah. I'd love to say it was ours. It's, it's Narkies. But there you go. Yeah. Uh, number four, pub lunches. Um, business. They're great. I completely yeah. agree. Although someone recently said no, which will be forever. How can they be business? How can the pub lunch I've be? done all my best business as a pub lunch. Because you're relaxed. You relax and you have a whiskey. And, it's you the know. same as the walking meetings. Basically, the reason I would argue their business is that in British culture, actual trust is built over, you know, you have to drink, but having a beer and a, you know, you know non alcohol beer and something to eat. That's the moment trust is built, you know. Um, we did that. We went to the pub. Yes, you know, built did. trust. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Five formal work clothes. Our business, it's got its place. Yep. Correct. <laughs> Board minutes. Oh, um. <laughs> that's exactly I, I, that's correct yeah. that's correct it's spelled B-O-A-R-D not B-O-R-E-D oh. I have someone else write them so that's good you need them don't you you do I, I have to say as, a, as someone who's watched shit hit the fan for clients the first thing someone attacks you for is where are the board minutes so they the first thing that someone if you've fallen out with someone in business the first thing they do is you made these decisions without me this business isn't being properly run that is attack number one and if you can't say here's the minutes you were sent them we all had the conversation that you're, you're immediately on the back foot so unfortunately do your board minutes sorry uh, terms and conditions they should be as short as possible um, 
maybe they're bullshit then. Yeah. I always thought that the entire legal system could be just reduced <laughs> to about eight of the Ten Commandments. So There's true. like two of them. So true. Like you just go... So you could, if for the terms and conditions, you could just go see Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. Or see Commandments 1 to 8. Right, exercising. Yeah, that's business. Need to do more of it. Controversial. Uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. They're acquired business. Yeah, interesting. Controversial. Contracts. They're acquired in the business, yeah. If you've got to refer to it, then you've got a problem. Gotta have a contract. Even if that contract is a handshake, even if you say our contract is a handshake, that can still mean something. It's better than not even shaking hands and going, ooh. Anyway, there's so much to say. Um, GDPR. Are you familiar with this wonderful acronym that has come to bless our world? GDPR notices. It's the internet thing, isn't it? And protecting. Is that what it is? Well, GDPR is the European's protection of. Um, the, the principle's lovely to, to protect the individual. The principle's lovely, but the way that every website now just has the options that you, you agree to our terms. It's you agree the same to the thing. terms. Before it was grey, I hadn't agreed to anything. Now I've agreed to it. Yeah. So bullshit, yeah? I suppose so, yeah. Acronyms. Any whiskey acronyms we should be aware of? Any TLAs? ABV. What's that? Alcohol oh, by volume. Important acronym. That one I five. I know that one. Ah, uh, they're business. They're fine. Coffee. Oh, it's business. It's good. Overrated drink in my view. Office dogs. Several of our territory managers who take a take like a companion dog out with them on the road. So yeah, that's business. Correct. My my friend does like um, a show all about pubs and what makes the perfect pub, and he gets the audience to shout out what they think they most like in a pub, and the most commonly shouted out thing is the pub dog. dog. Yeah, they are lovely. I, it's a question. It's an interesting question whether business or bullshit. But yeah, how can a dog be bullshit? Yeah, it's yeah. That's philosophical. Yeah, as soon as we get someone on here who says they're bullshit. That's it. That's Show's out. over. <laughs> Episode deleted. <laughs> Pull the lever. Um, well, listen, Desiree, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for giving us your time. If listeners want to find out more about you, your business, if they want to order your products, how do we go about doing that? Cadronadistillery.com. How do you spell Cadrona? C-A-R-D-R-O-N-A. And uh, is it on Waitrose Online? You can. Buy? It is on Waitrose Cellar. It's also at Harrods and uh, Virgin Wines. So would it be on Ocado then? God knows. It's not on Ocado. Uh, where else is that's where my it? wife drops, you know, damn it. The bloke who founded Ocado went to my old school. Little bit of trivia for you. Right. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you very much, Desiree, for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, uh, for, for joining us as well. And we'll be back with another episode in a fortnight. In the meantime... Please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram. Not that I use Instagram, but if you do, do follow us on it. Twitter, which you do find me on occasionally, but it's not about me. It's about the show, Business Without Bullshit. And Facebook, uh, at B-I-Z without B-S, biz without B-S, where you will find more useful business content. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for us using the hashtags bizwithoutbs or hashtag Ori Clark, O-U-R-Y Clark. Until then, from me, Dominic Frisbee, from Andrew Ori, and from Desiree Whitaker, it is goodbye. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. 
We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.